This is Got Punctum, a podcast exploring creative practice and the bookmaking process with contemporary photographers. I am Jay Sibylla Smith. I created this platform to share inspiration, challenges, and resources on creativity and to initiate a global dialogue. Welcome to our unscripted conversations. I begin with an introduction that is more about how I see my guests and frankly about how they see. And then we jump in and you'll discover with this book by Holly Linton, Barehanded, we have a lot to cover. So I'm gonna jump in with my, my introduction. So Holly, we met when I first encountered Sienna Turkey Madonna. It was in your exhibition at the Yazersky Gallery and it was 2014. I made a point to introduce myself. It was one of those first Friday nights (laughs) at the gallery. I was mesmerized by the strikingly simple palette in the image. The floating feathers suspended like a snow flurry and the serenity, wisdom and grace emanating from the young woman as she tenderly tended her flock. I thought, Ben, who are you and how did you do this? So fast forward through studio visits and dinner during Paris photo, and I remain intrigued about how you see and what you see. It is such a blend of detail with a very wide scope. I find an epicness to your images. Terence Washington writes in his essay in your book, Swinging in the American Breeze, that you capture slightly off kilter, ordinary moments. He poetically notes you, quote, present the moment between moments, end quote. I was delighted to read of your creative practice, acknowledging how you made the point, aesthetics structures time. How a photo can hold a fleeting moment of the ever flowingness of time. Your images brim with form, content and meaning. And most importantly, they possess the essential element as noted by Grace Elizabeth Hale, who you quote in your acknowledgements where she states, quote, a photograph needs context, end quote. Totally music to my ears. Seemingly serendipitous choices led you to the American South to rural areas with people practicing traditional craftsmanship. You encountered those living in relationship to the land, the waterways, those working with animals and insects that sustain all of our lives. 
you discovered the fantastical, that liminal space where boundaries fade and a union of sorts is forged. You with your subject, your subject with their task, the history that brings this moment to us in a contemporary mechanized and digitized world. It all collides and it hangs suspended like the turkey feathers in the first image that introduced me to you. You have mediated a complexity to deliver a simplicity. You meld emotional connection, attention to craft, yours and your subjects, a seeking of form and composition, the fleeting play of light and shadow, suspended moments. You catch these inside a flurry of activity. Your engagement with the subject, which is all really about practice, about returning, becomes a repository, a contemporary stance blending art and history. Traditional craftsmanship becomes a portal and you dive in deeply. I'm impressed with your keen observation and ability to listen to all the ghosts, thoughts, contradictions, and mysteries that this creative journey has unleashed. You are attentive. You bring presence by returning. You've engaged the method of photography, magical in its ability to wrestle with time, to call up all our associations and allow these to meet with our own experience. Here's where we have an opportunity. We can call to question our own perception, to think about how we see. You illuminate the layered intersection of time and meaning and ask us to consider these perceptions. A photo allows us to see time in multi-dimensions simultaneously, the past, time's incessant movement, and the ever-present open-endedness, the future. I quote Grace Elizabeth Hale again when she says, and yet the photograph is always, is also always a representation. It is not a piece of the world like a fossil, but a reference of reflected light. History is one of the meanings that can be produced at this juncture of difference and sameness. So in addition to these luscious visuals, and I will share a few, the poetic texts and the deeply contextual framing in the two outstanding essays, we have to talk book design <laughs> because the thoughtful layers of how this book becomes an experience are purposeful and they are not lost on me. As I mentioned, we have a lot to unpack. So welcome, Holly. Thank you for being here. Wow. Thank you, Sib. I think all introductions should be like that. And they're much more fun than the list of, you know, went to the school, was in this show. Um, so thank you for such You're a welcome. introduction. 
Yeah, I think everyone can find all those other facts. This podcast and our book sessions are really about um, joining you in your work. And it really, from my perspective, is how you see. That's what drives my work. Um, so hilariously, wow, you gave me a lot to think about and a lot to unpack. And I mean, I knew of the book in the works, I should say, but I never got to the depth until it was in my hands. Um, it was just, it really was an experience. So thank you for this. And I love that um, I often lean into literature or poetry to help me frame something. So the fact that you started with a poem, which was beautiful, and I just pulled this out, um, because this just seemed like such a magical part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like this idea of us having dreams and then it's up to us to make them come true too, right? And questions of travel, the idea that uh, we'll get into it, but I think your own choices in life um, led you to travel to certain places, but there's a reason for that. So here is the Siena Turkey Madonna that I referenced in the um, introduction. And I just wanna start with it because I think the fact that you moved to a rural community, I think informed something about how you see. Um, and I think you started to have new relationships, uh, new correlations that might not have been so crystallized, um, but I really commend you because you let them crystallize. I, can, I could feel that evolution. And then this book really just foundationally puts it all together. Um, and I feel like it started your encounter into this work, this like repelling deeply and down into all the layers. So I know that you mentioned photographing less was a beginning, but give us a little background, if you would, on how it started. Sure. Um, so a couple of things that I just want to touch on um, sure. as a preamble, and also because of the Elizabeth Bishop poem that the full excerpt that I, I chose um, to put in the book as a beginning was a lot about how I feel when I photograph. Um, so even though she's writing about being in a, in a foreign country, she's in a foreign land, there's also an element of this idea of a deep curiosity and that while there may be ethical questions to consider um, to what we do, you know, as both a traveler and a photographer that um, this, I think, deep curiosity will always at least push me to go to the end of the road to see what's there to, you know, for better or worse, particularly when I have my kids along with me, um, you know, to make them turn the car around because I catch something out of the corner of my eye. Um, so there's that, as you mentioned, serendipity, there's that part of the practice. And then there's also the intentionality that comes from mm. um, research and, other layers of ideas. So um, the project did, the project essentially started the seed of it in my small backyard in Weehawken, New Jersey, when I lived there, um, which I describe as a, you know, a semi-urban environment. It was a 
the the precursor to this project was my series solid ground and i made pictures in this very banal small backyard um and the kind of uh crystallizing picture was one of a bird trapped in raspberry netting which was a recreation of an event that i witnessed in my backyard when a wild bird got caught but i ended up recreating with a, a bird and a trainer and it began my thinking about, you know, what lengths we go to to um, secure our own food and our own nourishment and, and what we were doing to the land. And of course, there was a lot of work being made at the time um, about those issues and about um, the detrimental effects and showing, um, you know, everything from I often cite Chris Jordan's Albatross series and the garbage in their bellies, you know, um, these very real uh consequences. But mm -hmm. I, yeah, I was confident that there had to be mm -hmm. hope in, 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 in people and that people uh, were out there who were doing things a different way. So initially, I did start out looking for um, like the beekeeper less in New Mexico, and I photographed at a wolf sanctuary. But you're right that I um, moved to Massachusetts because I wanted to live more sustainably and more in a way that honored the environment, um, support local farms. And so that transition point in my own life allowed me to um, see a link between where the series began, which was looking for people where I felt like they were confronting some sort of dangerous aspect. So, you know, the bees having the potential to sting, although they didn't, um, to realizing that anyone who's an expert in their field or has made a choice to work in a certain way, um, it becomes like a meditation for them. And I watched people over and over again transform, you know, sort of before my eyes while I was photographing and they were paying me no attention. You know, they were completely mesmerized but with, and, and in what they were doing. And I realized that that same quality existed um, in agriculture. So the Turkey Madonna, picture um, was actually made in, in 20 minutes while it was researched in the sense that I knew the farm. It was where we uh, got our, our turkeys um, for a few years. And I asked if I could photograph. Um, I showed up and the mom said, you know, you have 20 minutes to photograph. And I was originally going to photograph her. Um, I had mm -hmm. read Barbara Kingsolver's uh, Vegetable Animal Miracle and and it's kind of funny because in the last year, as I was designing this book, I went back to the book to try to find the passage that I was certain was in my mind when I made the photograph and I couldn't find it. So I'm starting to wonder if I had my own associations as I was, you know, reading her, or I listened to it on audio tape as I drove around the kind of, you know, here. Mm. Um, and because she had described the the uh, I think it was a chicken slaughter, not turkey slaughter, as something beautiful, and that the feathers were like snow. Um, I will give it one more shot and see if I can find the passage. But yeah, maybe I made it up. Um, but anyway, I, I wanted to photograph this. You know, their death wasn't super intimate. It was the next day, but you know, this moment beforehand mm -hmm. or this kind of tenderness in the act of before death. Um, because again, there's a lot of work out there that shows the slaughter. Um, mm -hmm. But the reality of that photograph was I was going to photograph um, the mother and one of the turkeys freaked out and spread its wings and uh, whacked her across the neck. And she stepped away for a moment and Sienna stepped in and um, calmed the turkey down and then proceeded to ask for more and more turkeys. And, mm -hmm. you know, 
in an instant, I saw her transform from this teenage girl into this vision of a Madonna and, you know, quickly said, can I photograph her? And the mother was delighted. So, you know, it, it, it is a balance. I mean, same with this picture with Les, you know, I worked with him for three days and a lot of the pictures I made were sort of more straightforward, process oriented um, pictures of him. And then he, uh, he had put the queen bee in his pocket. And so there's another image um, where his apprentice is reaching in to take hold of the queen and the hive forms around them. And I was super thrilled with that picture. And afterwards he said, um, and by thrilled, I mean, you know, it was in my camera, I'm working with film. So it's not like I saw the picture in, you know, in reality, <laughs> I saw it in my mind, but um, you know, he said, what should I do? Should I put them on my face? And I said, sure, if you want to, you know, I, 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 I do ask people to do things on occasion, but I probably wouldn't go that far. And then again, he was the buzzing afterwards. He said he couldn't hear anything. The buzzing was so loud in his ears and he was just lost in it. Um, so that's, you know, a little bit of how um, some of these pictures get me. They're, they're definitely a combination of um, serendipity and, you know, planning and, and research. Um, all at once, but it's interesting. It, it speaks to what I was trying to talk to in terms of that suspended moment. Like you're talking about watching them transform in the meditative aspect, but that's you and your craft at the same time. So it's kind of this like symphony. And mm -hmm. I love that I learned when I was doing research that Les said that bees don't like hair. So right. I'd grow a beard too to get them not <laughs> crawling across every inch of my face. But I think that's such a, a startling picture um, and moment. It's really, uh, it is fantastical. Yeah. Um, you have and there's no a gentleness idea. behind it, right? So he's not doing it to be, uh, you know, kind of a macho, you know, look what I can do. He works this way because then he can feel the bees and he doesn't crush them. So he doesn't anger them. So he doesn't get stung. Um, so yeah, there's, you know, um, there's a fine balance. Um, and you mentioned shadow and, and light. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, that in photography, that's so indicative of, you know, what, translates out into the world in so many ways, you know, of, of light and shadow, which AKA, you know, or darkness um, mm -hmm. and how we move through those two realms. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also struck and we, um, we see it here too. Your composition is so, I wouldn't say it's formal though it is, it's, it's just, um, extremely fortunate. Like when I look at that, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to take away from your ability. It's just this idea that, okay, he wore that shirt and that shirt and the sky. And then this idea that his hair is that darker red, which kind of matches the bees, but he's placed in a, in a way that he becomes part of the tree behind mm -hmm. him. And then his beard, which is so unique and stark because it's white becomes highlighted by light, right? Mm -hmm. And then even on the uh, on the frame to the left, you have this ever so slightly placement of a branch. So, I mean, I'm not gonna get deep into art historical or whatever, but it really has a Renaissance 
piece a feel right of mm -hmm. that idea that there's a window taking us through so um that's what I'm saying about how much there is to unpack because you go from the very um immediate like oh my god a reaction is someone who's not a beekeeper like isn't that a horror and it's like no and then the idea that we are so connected to the natural world um well we are fortunate because people like less are that connected because that helps us um and then you're looking at the composition of the image and so that's why i'm saying there's many many layers I, I i spoke to perception in the um in the introduction and this is a quote from one of the essayists terence washington these images ask us to question the completeness of our own perception and that's what has really happened is the book is like a cacophony of asking because you're telling, but you're a very much um, being a portal yourself of just an open door. You are aware of the contradictions and you don't answer them, you just suspend them. So it's like, yes, this is dangerous, but yes, this is magical. Yes, mm -hmm. this is, you know, the Southern, landscape, people, history, etc., is laden with all kinds of association. And yet this is today, like, where are we? Um, so my question that I wanted to, to raise is, um, spirituality comes up, right? Mm -hmm. Religious iconography, the Madonna, I mean, you saw Siena as a Madonna, this religious iconography, um, art historical references like I just made, and there's many, and your essayists do an amazing job with that. So can you tell us how this context, which really is what is equally as powerful as your very impactful images, how did this context unfold for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think, some of it was surprising even to me. Um, I mean, your mention of composition, for example, I mean, I think the comp my compositional skills or really I think what has been so ingrained um, because I don't crop basically ever. Um, mm. And if you look at my work, you'll see there's very few, I mean, there's almost no verticals. Um, so it's just, <laughs> just a choice I made. And at Yale, when I was an undergraduate, we weren't, we weren't allowed to crop. So if a, if a, picture failed compositionally, we basically tossed it. And um, I worked with a 35 millimeter camera in black and white. Um, we also weren't allowed to do color as undergraduates. And so I did move on to an eight by 10. Um, so I think, um, yeah, it's just somehow in there um, in my subconscious and, and the way I'm seeing when I'm moving, when I'm framing. Um, but you're right, there are a lot of gifts in terms of what people are wearing, the light, the, you know, their environment, all of it. Um, and then the artist, uh, the, some of the biblical references that began to come out in, in Barehanded in particular, and these art historical references, I mean, they were never planned. So like the Turkey Madonna, literally it was her, you know, slight tilt of the head. And um, the only explanation I can really give for it is that I think there is some, there's a linkage between, um, you know, these religious or, you know, sometimes it's mythology or these, um, you know, stories um, from the past that, that are linked to the land in a certain way. Um, 
and so they're just coming out, um, you know, and it, and it's, it's the gestures and, and the necessary physical work that this practice or these, you know, the way that all the various ways that people are interacting with the land, um, whether it is work or whether it's for fun or recreation. Um, so those elicit these images in our mind. Um, of course, some of the ones that Terence is writing about are, um, you know, specifically horrific images that are uh, in our American history and the history of slavery um, and beyond. And so the symbols and the references are not always art historical. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're sometimes very much tied to history, but I think of us all having this, um, this cultural visual memory that again is individualized in the sense that depending on where we come from, um, you know, where we've grown up, what country, uh, you know, we, where we originated, um, where in the world, um, we may then have different um, visual references. So it's not to say, and, and his essay does a good job of this, that each person's gonna have the same set of references, um, mm -hmm. you know, but there's going to be some linkages and some crossovers. So it's something that um, I'm, I'm very interested in and I'm interested in continuing, I think, um, to plan it or prescribe it in a certain way, then the images would fall flat. So um, there's another picture in the book. I don't, I don't believe we have it in the PDF, but it's a picture of a, a group of farm workers or youth um, yeah, and they're sitting at a table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'll just describe it. And mm -hmm. um, I can they're sitting at a too. Okay. So go ahead. Yeah, I'm listening. So they're go sitting ahead. at a table and, you know, they have a communal lunch. And I, I wanted to photograph the garlic that was hanging. And I knew they had a communal lunch. Um, and I knew positioning them sitting at a table in this manner, you know, there's one male figure in the center that it would, it would link to the Last Supper. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's not all that's going on in the, in the picture. So sometimes, you know, I'm aware of it as it's happening. Um, other times, even like the mayflies on the front, um, mm -hmm. I wasn't really thinking in that moment about anything about how wonderful the mayflies were and how comical it was that my, um, assistant who was with me was about to jump in the lake with the catfish and try noodling and yet he was freaked out by these mayflies you know so, which don't bite and aren't harmful but he had to sort of surrender to them so you know but then other people will see a plague of locusts or you know so exactly. um you know these things are 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 floating out in there and I love it when they collide with my images but I certainly don't plan them yeah. So a couple of things to just underline, because that was great and super helpful. And I think that that's what I'm talking about, the foundational structure that you were in this book, between what you brought in from uh, uh, Grace, um, is it Grace Elizabeth yeah. Hale, um, and your two essays, is this idea that, um, yeah, we do not have the same references or the associations, but there's so many cultural constructs and iconography, whether it's mythology or religious, that just is perpetuated. And we have this inclination. Um, I actually went down the rabbit hole because it's mentioned in your essay about cultural hegemony right? This idea that the ruling people um, not only frame things, but then actually can say, and this is good for all of you, when it clearly isn't. And so I'm curious about two things, or I'm trying to 
tease out two things. And your book does an unbelievable job of giving us all of this fodder to think about. It's this idea that um, is raised in the book that, okay, we don't have, history is so, um, first of all, it's living. Second of all, it's slippery, right? Um, because of these different associations. And then it dies hard, right? People hold on to things, even against the reality of other things. So what I love is one of the aspects brought out in the book is how art animates history. It literally shakes it up so that you start to think about those perceptions so that you're not going along like a lemming saying, well, this is what I was told. So this is the way it is. Um, I'm thinking about when I read um, Hale's article and she talks about Sally Mann's work where she's at the bridge where uh, Emmett Till was put in the river. How do you respond to that work, whether or not you know that story, right? And I guess what I wanted to raise too is these layered context, uh, art, history, the Southern vernacular. I love that Terrence uh, Washington brings in the Gothic, like where there is some gruesomeness to it. Um, and it comes into a long history of what we've done with agricultural or rural photography in this country specifically. Mm -hmm. And then it comes into what you mentioned about the, the South and the history. And then here you are, and Hale talks about this a lot, you know, you're standing on the shoulders of a Sally Mann, a William Christianberry, uh, Emmett Gowan. Uh, you're along with Carrie Mae Weems and other people doing it in all different ways. However, you are a white woman talking about some aspects that were not your experience. So it brings up all of those layers, right? So I'm trying to tease out like, I felt bombarded is too strong a word, but it was like, oh my God, I didn't think about that. Oh my God, yes, like, right? Like I just kept going in my own deep dive with what you brought out. So I'm trying to get your experience about here you are photographing and it's this like cacophony of, of light bulbs of a uh, connection, a uh, connection. And they're not clear, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're, they're muddy. So that's what I'm trying to ask. Like, how did you, um, it brings up, um, I think representation, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like when, where were your awarenesses that you were kind of in a bit of a gold mind and a bit of a landmine, like it was a little, there's a danger there too. Right, right. Um, yeah, all of it. And I made, you know, I know we'll get to them and like some of these pictures and I had choices yeah. to make where I could have included uh, or I could have not included the difficult pictures um, right. and not address them, um, which ultimately to me, um, or I could include them and risk, you know, criticism in some way, but I decided to not include them would have been cowardly to me in my practice mm -hmm. and that better to include them, but not blindly. And I felt fortunate that in the last two years, I 
um, have met a number of people where I'm, I'm not operating in a complete vacuum. And mm-hmm. so, yes, the writers like um, both Terrence and Carl and, um, you know, I'm working on a new project right now about camp meetings in South Carolina and I'm collaborating with Maurice Wallace. And so people who challenge me too, you know, mm-hmm. but respectfully and thoughtfully and whose work I admire in, in, in turn. So, um, you know, ultimately like in grad school if you're having a critique you could survey 10 different um professors and get 10 different ideas of what you should do for your work right but ultimately you have to trust yourself and um you know maybe a few other voices and Mm -hmm. that was kind of my method but you know as you said in the beginning to provide context but also to ask questions i mean even an image like this one on the screen you know, most people assume that that's a man's hand um, and it's not, mm-hmm. it's a woman's hand. Um, you know, one might assume that this is just like an old abandoned truck, but it's not, it's um, something that's been repurposed as an essential, you know, farm piece of a farm equipment or ranch equipment mm-hmm. to, in the haystacking process. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of agricultural imagery, as you mentioned in the US points to the hardship um, of labor and, you know, what I've witnessed is, yes, it's hard work, but there are also people who are making choices um, to work in a certain way where the labor is, I mean, they're feeding their families. And in, in the case of the haystacking, they're putting up hay in a way that respects the land, feeds their cattle, um, you know, provides nourishment for their families, but it's not really exactly for economic gain. So. You know, I've asked a lot of questions about why people persist in a certain way or why they work or why the shrimpers go out in South Carolina, um, you know, when it, it kind of doesn't make sense. And that's what circles back to this idea of spirituality or like what feeds our soul. And so I also participate a lot. Um, you know, I, I go up on top of the haystacks when some of the family members wouldn't even. I get hay in my pants and down in my underwear and, you know, places you don't want hay. And, um, you know, I feel like I need to fully immerse myself um, in physically in Mm -hmm. all of these experiences. I stand out in the hot sun for hours. I mean, you know, I ride on the machinery. I'm not, I'm not doing the hard work that they're doing um, per se, but as much as I can, you know, I'm trying to understand it. And, um, you know, I think Grace Elizabeth Hale, when she gave a keynote speech, she talked about this idea of return. And mm-hmm. it was kind of monumental for me because she uh, laid out some sites that a number of photographers, and she was speaking mainly about Southern photographers because it was in the context of the Sally Mann exhibition. But um, she talked about this idea as a historian of the benefit of multiple photographers um, depicting the same place um, and mm-hmm. returning, and then the the process of return within photographers' practice. And to me, that was groundbreaking because I think I felt a pressure as an artist to always make something new or something not. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, with the red, you know, we all hear the same adage like, "Oh, you know, there are no new ideas." Um, so at the same time of hearing that, still feeling compelled that, but okay, yes, but I need to find a new vantage point on this idea and. Um, so her work really helped me see my practice in another way. And also, I think at that time, I decided that working somewhat interdisciplinary, working with historians, working uh, with art historians, working, you know, with different um, 
kinds of art, sometimes, you know, making letterpress prints, representing the history in different ways was really important to me. So that's another way that I've been able to tackle, I guess, all, allowing all of these contradictions and associations to be there. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so hang on. Yes. Awesome. But you like you're doing it to me now where it's like, wait, 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 so many things that you're making me think of. One is before I lose it, I did mm -hmm. pull up the photograph. Tell us the, te the technical name. Do you remember your title? Yeah. So my titles are always very bizarre and difficult, but it's like um, lunch, comma, peace. And it, it's P-E-A-S, uh, farm. Like that's the farm, uh, Missoula, Montana. And the people, one of the delights of this photograph for me, which I didn't even see on the spot, one of my photo interns Simon saw was, um, and it might, I think, I don't even know that you could read it in the book, but on his t-shirt, um, mm -hmm. it's like a cartoon of the character Gru, and it says like, go to hell. Um, and, you know, he's in this, in the middle of this um, Jesus figure. But like, I mean, I couldn't have planned that. I mean, how did that mm -hmm. happen? I have no idea how that happened, you know? So mm -hmm. to me, mm -hmm. that's also this idea of kind of faith and faith that I definitely subscribe to. I'm somewhat superstitious. Um, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, no, I like the term that you just said, fate and faith, because it's there. And I have to say that I do not have a hard time with your titles. I really appreciate them. I do, because they make, they make, they make sense, but they're also uh -huh. grounding like this one of being in the machinery here. It's called mm -hmm. Hoist Patterson, mm -hmm. Peterson Ranch, Jackson, Montana. It also shows you bring us the date 2018 about mm -hmm. how you have returned again and again, and that mm -hmm. there is a, a, at least a decade in this body of work. But this is another one. Um, we're looking at Bone, Botany Bay. Mm -hmm. Is it called Edisto? Edisto. Edisto? Edisto, mm -hmm. South Carolina. Um, this speaks to me of what you capture. And this is why I included it in the PDF. Number one, you have to look at it twice, right? Because you're like, wait, what? And then the ridiculousness, sorry, of the light <laughs> is, is, you know, amazing. And it's just metaphorical on so many different levels. So you just have to, you just have to give yourself time to let all the layers that surface when you're in your image to happen because it's a real lovely dive. So tell us a little bit about how you, how you captured this. Yeah. Um, so this is, um, so Botany Bay is a, is a preserve down in South Carolina um, that, you know, the tides in South Carolina have huge uh, shifts in terms. So this landscape will be completely underwater at high tide. Um, mm -hmm. There would be no beach whatsoever. So the, the trees, it's, they're called boneyard beaches because the trees that have been bleached and, you know, weathered by the, both the sun and the sea um, kind of look like bones or, you know, these remnants of prehistoric animals on the beach. And so I was planning to photograph at one. And actually, this was kind of a, a scouting day. And I took my kids down. Um, and that's my son in the tree at the time. Um, you know, when the kids were younger, these, the trips that I would make were always um, planned seasonally, because the events that I'm photographing happen seasonally. So, um, 
you know, in the early years, when, once they hit the teenagers, they didn't travel with me as much, but in the early mm-hmm. years, they were often with me. And so we went to go check out the light that, you know, I wanted to get a sense of how the, everything would photograph. Mm-hmm. And my son just climbed up into the tree naturally and draped himself like that. And then had the reason it's called bone is because he picked up one of the small um, tree branches and it reminds me of a bone. And then the birds that were flying um, just were there. So basically I told them to freeze. <laughs> so I made the picture and, and then, um, you know, I ended up doing this more planned day with more people and I made photographs that I didn't like. So I mean, this ended up being the picture. So again, it's that kind of combination of, of spontaneity and, um, you know, um, something unplanned happening in a planned situation um, mm-hmm. or a planned trip. So, and the light, um, I mean, I'm sure I planned that. Mm-hmm. I, I taught a class recently and was talking about research and even, you know, like researching the weather. So as best I can, I research the weather and plan my photographs for the right weather, of course, if a work process is happening, you know, I don't have those choices. So with the haystacking, they're going to stack hay unless it's raining. Um, so whether it's a smoky landscape, a sunny landscape, a partly cloudy landscape, or what looks to be a stormy landscape, you know, I don't have the, a choice there. Um, but if I, if I can, I plan for the light. Well, you're thinking, you're making me think of two things at once. One is John, uh, first of all, the haystacks are what made me include when I talked about light and shadow, because I feel like in the haystacks, you were really driven by what was happening in the shadow too. Um, And it makes me think of John Lair, who was one of our he was in the first year of us doing photo book book group and it's in our archive, but his work is exceedingly different from yours. Um, Being in um, uh, an a a suburban landscape and a mall type of landscape. And he will envision the graphics and wait for the light to do what he wants in the composition so that the shadow and light are like a tool that he's really practicing. And the only other thing I wanted to underscore from what you last spoke is that returning, the returning to the work because that or to the work of others. So um, Hale talks about it, but most recently um, I interviewed um, Anastasia Samogyova and David Campany on their book, Florida's, and it's looking at her work, which is so contemporary against Walker Evans, who had also done so very um, interesting how there's a call and response. Kristen Berry did same, and this idea that you back and and relate to it. Also, Jim Dow, who just published Signs, uh, has the same kind of call and response, um, which I find really interesting. And I appreciate you bringing that up because of the pressure to create something new. Um, and then this. When you were talking about the hay, you also put yourself on shrimp boats for long periods of time under all kinds of conditions. So Mm -hmm. this one is Storm at Sea, Mm -hmm. um, Wadmalo Island. Um, If I'm correct, the storm did not come towards you, but I think you thought, (laughs) dang, it is. But your your shrimpers read the horizon and are like, oh, yeah, no big deal. It's going the other way. Right. Right. But tell us about this image and Um, capturing it. Yeah, I mean, this particular shrimper likes to go out at two in the morning. So, um, you know, we head out in the darkness. And I remember the air was super thick that day. Um, 
and we got part way out into the ocean and there's a period of um you know when they're they're dragging i mean they haven't let the nets down yet you can see the mm -hmm. net on the left so we were just getting out to where they would probably um start uh looking for shrimp and mm -hmm. yeah i saw these cloud births on the horizon <laughs> and i thought oh uh -oh. um but yeah he's like oh no big deal so you know i basically had the camera on a tripod and took a straight shot i mean i create these panoramics by um you know having a camera on a tripod or hand holding it and taking a frame like this and then taking a frame like this so that I can put them together. Um, so it's not like a crop single image. Um, and yeah, so then I just photographed a bunch of cod bursts um, and wanted to kind of convey that feeling of what it's like to be out there. You know what else I came away with? And I know we have a few more slides before we jump into design, but somehow you managed the most pleasing palette even though you were in different seasons in different places. It was very, very interesting and, and, and really quite beautiful. Um, this quote is a nod from your second essay, Carl Foldner, uh, good work finds the way between pride and despair. And I was so taken with that. And I thought a lot about that quote. Um, he comes around to talking about not only the people you're portraying's good work, but your good work. And um, if you could just mention, because I think it's helpful for people listening, how you sought and decided on the people that you wanted to contextualize your work. Sure. Um, so Carl, I met, um, he was a photography fellow at the Yale Art Gallery and I was um, back at Yale for a research fellowship um, that I did at the Gilder Lerman Center um, for the study of slavery resistance and abolition on my camp meeting project. Um, I was also in, the, in a show that Yale was doing on women artists, so Carl was interviewing me a whole bunch, um, <laughs> lots of questions. and. Um, writing an entry for that catalog, which I actually didn't see until well after he was working on this essay, I think. And um, but he was sort of pulling other references and other, you know, other links that he thought I should be aware of in terms of my work. Um, and I just thought he was a really gifted scholar and interesting writer um, and would be a great person to contextualize the work in relationship to the FSA photography and um, and he's also really sensitive to, yeah, all of the ways that our portrayals of rural uh, people living in the United States can fall quickly into cliches or certain tropes. And so I knew um, he would be a great voice and kind of keep that balanced in the book and the design as well. And, um, and then uh, Terrence Washington and I met when he was at Next Haven, he was a program director and he came up for a studio visit. And I also, again, I really appreciated the work he was doing and his own um, PhD work and um, listening to the conversations that he was engaged in and the way he has this wonderful kind of circular thought process and brings in many associations um, very fluidly. And his, uh, his research in and um, PhD work had been in, um, in or master's work had been in um, uh, lynching photography. And um, 
Uh, so I just thought he would be a great person. Um, he also grew up in the South um, mm-hmm. to contextualize uh, my work. And I left it open to them to kind of choose which images they wanted to speak about or write about. Um, and um, and yeah, I mean, I think they're both great writers. So they are. And in terms of what they did for me to dive into more um, references and understanding, uh, their associations were were very, very rich, and I'm I'm thankful for their links. And I think that makes your book exceedingly unique. And that's why I'm talking about it as an experience, because I think it is. Um, I'm going to just quote him one more time from um, Carl's essay. He quoted Liberty Hyde Bailey from 1913 in something called The Holy Earth. And the quote is, all good work well done is essentially poetic to the sensitive mind. And I loved that. And I think that that's what this is a celebration of, right? That sensitive mind. And it re- made me go back. This goes all the way back um, uh, to uh, an ironic uh, experience for me um, when uh, I was looking to um, have my wedding outside. This is decades ago. We went to a space that had a quote on the wall and we ended up using the quote in our ceremony. And um, because I think it speaks to this nature of what you're getting at, uh, the quote is biblical and there's a lot of different renditions, but the general theme, like paraphrasing, is in the handiwork of their craft is their prayer. And that really resonated with me in terms of I, uh, I feel that connection to my work, <laughs> even though it is not, you know, down and dirty and in, in, in the land, it's actually in all ideas and association. And um, yet I felt like it mirrors this idea of the the spirituality that you do sense. And I'm glad that your next project is like opening that door even wider and going into it. And this idea of um, like uh, prayer is a verb, right? Of doing something. Um, And I also appreciate that one of your essayists talks about you brought up a third alternative because you had talked about tropes going into cliches, et cetera. And um, what I love is that um, instead of looking at the rural community um, and this activity with either sympathy or as a token, um, like a, a virtue that you find a place in the middle that's neither of those, which I really appreciate. Um, And this is one of the um, Gothic modes of American art and literature and to what you spoke to in terms of uh, obviously a challenging association. Mm -hmm. This is called rope swing. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is what it is, but of course is not what it looks like. Um, Mm -hmm. and the picture was made, um, actually I was just describing the process of making this picture. I was, um, down in South Carolina photographing at one of the Methodist camp meetings. Um, and it was an African-American camp meeting and came upon this picture and he asked me, you know, well, how, like, did you see it or kind of, when did you see it? Um, and you know, this, I parked in the dark um, to actually go out on the shrimp boat of the picture that you saw before. Um, And 
when I came back, I got in my car and I looked out the windshield and it was hanging right in front of me. So it was an immediate gut kind of shock response of seeing something and, you know, questioning what am I seeing? Um, And so I made the picture and then, you know, fully evaluated it later. Um, But yeah, it, I mean, this is really the picture where I feel like I had a choice to leave this in or not. And actually what happened in the editing of the book and working with Terrence is Terrence chose to write about this picture. And then also um, the other picture of the hooded sheep, um, mm-hmm. which wasn't initially in the book sequence, but because he wrote about it, um, you know, ah, and, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's our next image. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this was an equally kind of shocking um, uh, association for me in that I first saw the hooded sheep when I went out to New Mexico and I went to an agricultural fair. Um, and I just remember looking at them and thinking it's so bizarre that, you know, we would dress sheep in a mode that resembles the KKK. Um, and, you know, I guess sometimes when these associations you know, then I question, am I the only one who sees this? Um, you know, and mm-hmm. so it has a practice, which is, um, I mean, it has a practical reason, which is to keep the sheep clean um, when they're being judged. These particular sheep were not dressed um, in hoods and robes in these garments normally. I asked, um, I was having a hard time and maybe because people know about the associations, I wanted to make a picture that wasn't just the sheep in the cages at the at the fair and mm-hmm. I was having a hard time finding um, a farmer and up here who would really kind of engage in that with me and so I asked someone who didn't normally do it if she put one on her sheep and what was fascinating to me in this process was the sheep on the left were freaking out because they didn't recognize the one on the right so this kind mm-hmm. of terror and horror was was replicated in in you know, in, with the sheep. Um, yeah, yeah, and, the fear. Yeah, mm-hmm. the fear. And so she was trying to herd with them and they kept trying to get away from her. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, Terrence um, pulled out both of those pictures um, and talks about the various meanings in them. Um, and then we all, he also talks about um, an image of cotton that's in the book that, um, functioning slightly differently in that our associations are not so much embedded in these symbols, um, in a symbol of something else as it is in these pictures, um, Mm -hmm. but more that our weight, the weight we feel when we look at cotton um, is more um, connected directly to the history that we know. Mm -hmm. Um, And with the rope swing, the other thing that was a little bit interesting to me is because you mentioned earlier about history and and how permanent history is and when if ever will these symbols change um, or our knowledge of them change um, and that's a big question but when I when my kids were younger so maybe my son was I don't know um, how old was he in 2013 I guess he was about nine um, so I must have asked him um, I must have asked him a couple of years later but maybe he was like what he saw and he still saw a noose but he Mm -hmm. thought of it more in terms of suicide and so it wasn't until you know kids are educated in the history you know as they learn the history then the associations change Mm -hmm. um 
even though the object, you know, the association with the object probably comes into our knowledge much younger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm, I want to give time um, to talk book design. So I was going to, um, to, to turn us there and I'm pretty sure I have examples coming up, uh, but I wanted to end um, at least this context part of our discussion with a quote that came out that I really also appreciated. Um, and I'm, it's on 114. Now I don't know, I'll have to look if it's Terrence or Carl, um, where they're quoting and they say, to see a person as a symbol of either virtue or suffering is to fail at recognizing that person. And I think that speaks to what I just mentioned before, this idea that you're not stuck in nostalgia or romanticism or um, pity, um, but you're bringing out such a much more uh, full-bodied experience, right? Of these people and, and, and all our complicity in all the layers. So thank you, thank you. And I know I go deep on context because that's, you know, concept development's my thing. However, book design is too. And it's not lost on me that we have to um, take a handmade object to release the book. And, and I just want you to have time to tell people about all these decisions, because you very, very thoughtfully layered the experience for the person with the book, but also you layered context and content as well. So right. tell us oh. about this. And on the screen right now, what I did is we put in the photograph of how once you take the um, book out of the sleeve, which is itself beautiful, Right. And you really feel the weight. I mean, you're very big into texture that shows in your images, but then again here. And if you open up the, the inner, what I love too, is you did not put text on the front of your book. We, we, we just see a, a, a image on its own and you wrap around a back image that goes by the spine. And then this, the way that this is, um, uh, bound is so beautiful, but here is the, the end piece that we're looking at how it folds over. Yeah. Um, and that is all thanks to my wonderful book designer, um, mm -hmm. Margaret Bauer, who I found because, uh, she had done Sally Mann's catalog, a thousand crossings and Dorothea Lang's words and pictures. And, um, when I looked at Margaret's work, one of the things that I really appreciated was the way she plays with layers and kind of abstraction, um, mm -hmm. and representation, if you will, um, as the opposite. Um, so like here, the way she collides, you know, both black and white and color, but the, the hay detail with the scallions and creates this whole other composition and this like abstraction of those images, I really appreciated. And um, yeah, she really had this vision for the cover that was difficult in the sense that we started with this idea of doing a hard cover, but, um, you know, we had, she liked the idea of having a real raw material, um, like uh, mater a raw material for the cover. So we were looking at cardboard at first, but then that limited mm. us into how we could print it. And, you know, so there were a lot of technical aspects of design that we had to work with. We have a Swiss binding. Um, so that meant because I wanted thinner paper for the essays that we then had to return to a thicker paper, which 
gave the book a kind of second ending after the essays, which I really like now. And with the cover, mm -hmm. we ended up finding this, it's 100% cotton paper, which I really love that it is a pure, um, you know, there's nothing synthetic in it. And so that to me speaks to the content of the book itself. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, the texture, I mean, I, I saw a sample of the paper and I just fell in love with it. So, um, so then we switched to soft cover, which gave this flap. And I asked if we could then do a slipcase <laughs> to sort of protect it um, and had the idea to do the vines, which, so you're literally peeling back these vines to get to the, to the work and to the other, the land. And, um, and the image here with the hands, um, she really liked having that, you know, because of the title barehanded, having an image of hands somewhere up front. Um, and then I wanted the, um, to keep it from feeling too literal. To me, I chose the birds um, uh, mm -hmm. flying and eating the bycatches, the end paper, um, mm -hmm as a metaphorical, you know, in the beginning, it's human hands offering, um, sort of receiving, mm -hmm. obviously hardworking, um, but it's also reminds me of the yogic gesture when you receive prasad and, you know, um, and then at the end, it's the birds eating our human waste and our bycatch. So there's this relationship between mm -hmm. the, the beginning and the ending of the book. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a couple of things. One is the actual image here. Um, number one, I think this is a woman again, mm -hmm. yeah. which you would not necessarily um, know, um, which I appreciate. And then the um, the farm is Clark Fork Organics. So you're, you're mirroring that. But what I also love is the creative choices. I happen to love the um, the lighter paper that the essays are on and that it's there's only there's only grays, there's not black text anywhere, mm. which I also think is really um, evocative and beautiful. But I also love that images get repeated and that you took that image and brought it back in at the essay in black and white. I get that question a lot. People get very nervous of like, can I actually mix this? And it's like, yes, yes, you can. Yeah. And it and it really works and it has, right. has has purpose. Um, yeah. and, let me, and that I'll was just... Margaret too, the um, the black and white. And then there are a couple of images in the essay that aren't elsewhere. The image on the on the back cover is not elsewhere, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, there's sort of, I guess, a couple of times where I broke convention and yeah. it's like, you know, well, it just makes sense, you know? Yeah. Um, so some images are repeated and it, and it makes sense. And some images only appear in one place, you know, like in the essay as a detail. I... I love that. No rules. And here's the end paper, uh, bycatch frenzy, um, which is what I mean when I spoke before of you catching these moments often in the middle of like major activity. Uh, and, and I love that you thought of that circular nature um, in terms of what you were, were offering people, right? The metaphorical um, and one of the things that happens is we will, um, we always have uh, episode notes. They come in the form of summaries on my website. Uh, and anyone who has um, signed up for our online uh, live Zoom will, will um, receive that, but you can go find the archive. And on a podcast, you can go to our episode notes, but we hyperlink to all of these different resources because definitely I was led to many more resources by reading your essays and, um, and learning about their views uh, and the links that you, you were open to. And last, before we open to um, 
to uh, our audience and, and their questions is how you made me think of people that we've had on our podcast before mm -hmm. and how I start to see correlations in terms of how people see. So, and then sometimes I realize through social media or otherwise that some of the people that I know know each other in ways that I had no idea. Um, so I'm thinking of Billy Mandel Mm -hmm. who we did uh, her book, Confessions, and um, Colleen Plum, mm -hmm. uh, which I also talked about um, her book and Jim Dow, uh, Rich Joseph Acun, uh, Matt Eck, who are obviously deep in looking at the Southern uh, mm -hmm. American through photography, and then Odette England, who's, who's also epically looking at our use of land and and uh, agriculture and gender uh, issues, layered layered things. Um, so, and also yeah. you'll be you'll be at Paris Photo with your publisher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Tiny and how books. does that work in terms of um, your book being um, launched in different parts of the world? Is it all yeah. simultaneous or? Um, no, and I'm a little confused because I just looked at Amazon and now it says December, but um, I thought that there was a big shipment coming in. Um, I know MoMA is going to have copies. Um, PhotoEye is carrying it. Um, so I thought copies were going to be more widely available in different places in the U.S. Um, starting at the end of October. Mm -hmm. um, you can still order it. I mean, I have some copies here in the studio in the U.S. that people can order it from me or you can order it from my, um, you know, it's only 10 euros shipping that they're shipping it from oh, Italy. Jesus. So people can order it immediately from Italy as well um, and get we'll it. We'll put a quick. link. You tell us, but we'll put a link in our, our episode notes and, and summary. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'll find out what's happening with the, the U.S. shipping. But at least from now, maybe just the publisher would be the best, mm -hmm. the best bet. Mm -hmm. Terrific. I'm excited. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for everyone who, who came and, and also participated. And Holly, thank you. Um, it's a treasure. Thank you. <laughs> it was a lot of years of work, so I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine. So thanks. <laughs>